This podcast may contain explicit language. Welcome to the Dynasty Download, the show where we prove Dynasty League fantasy is the best form there is. I'm Tom Duncan. Co-host, Ethan Hamilton. A quick note on a few shows we are planning on coming up. Tonight, we continue our State of the League series reviewing everyone's team in our Dynasty League with King in the North. We will have a pre-draft ranking special in advance of the NFL draft starting on April 29th. That episode will cover our current Dynasty rankings before the draft, as well as a list of the top 25 rookies for Dynasty before we know their new homes. We will have night-by-night coverage during the draft. Make sure you to follow our Twitter feeds for full live reactions at TJ3Duncan and at Hammy2112, as we will be doing a video draft diary on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. And then we will be doing our yearly post-draft mock draft to get you ready for the summer with a couple of special guests we have lined up. Finally, we are planning a special rules series this summer covering things like Superflex, multi-week playoff series, tight end premium, half PPR versus full PPR, and many more. So you won't want to miss out on any of it, so please like, subscribe, and review the show to make sure you're going to be a part of our fun. If you'd like to contact the show or have a question for us, please write us at dynastydownload10 at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to be a part of our mailing list this year or going forward, please contact us there. So, as I said before, we're doing a few mini episodes on each member of our league's teams. And next up, under the microscope, is King in the North. So let's start with his 2020 draft review. And if I were ranking draft classes for this last season, I would probably put his at second overall. With the eighth overall pick, he ended up taking C.D. Lamb. With the 18th pick, he took Zach Moss. With the 28th pick, he took T. Higgins. 38, Justin Jackson. 48, Van Jefferson Jr., a one of personal ire for you. At 58, he took Drew Locke. And at 68, he took the Tennessee defense. Uh, At 78, Will Lutz. Uh, rounding out his team, though, and I'm not entirely sure why none of us took Chase Claypool, but immediately after the draft, he picked him up. I can't remember who he dropped in order to get that to happen. But So as you look back on his draft class, do you agree is it one of the better draft classes from our previous year? I'd say it's a pretty damn good draft class. Absolutely. I'd say for sure it's in the top three. He got a lot of deep talent um, later on in the draft. For sure, T. Higgins is one that I think is going to be a very, very explosive wide receiver, especially when he gets on the same page with Joe Burrow. And then, yeah, picking up Chase Claypool right after the draft. Honestly, if I'm thinking back on it, I think I picked up Chase Claypool and then I dropped him for somebody else, maybe Brian Edwards or something like that. But, um, yeah, he took Van Jefferson right in front of me. That was was very irritating because I had the number nine pick. Um, yeah, right in front of me, right when I was going to take him. So I love me some Van. I really love his draft class. So coming into last year, the biggest weaknesses on Ben's teams were clearly at wide receiver. And I think he really helped uh, that situation greatly by getting Van Jefferson Jr., probably to a lesser extent. But realistically, C.D. Lamb and T. Higgins are arguably two of the top five wide receivers from last year's class, which was a really stacked class for wide receivers. Uh, going into this year, you would project that both of them would be in his top 10 starting lineup. Yeah, easy, 
easy, I think you can put those guys in, especially once Joe Burrow gets back and when you get Dak Prescott back. I don't really think we've seen the real C.D. Lamb. I think we, I think we've seen flashes of him. When I think of C.D. Lamb, I think of that one grab that he had against the Vikings, where he was tracking the ball and then it went over his wrong shoulder, continued to track it and bring the thing in. It was one of the greatest football catches that I've ever seen. Uh, the the ability that this guy has to make plays on the ball in the air. And then you have Chase Claypool. For me, honestly, though, Chase Claypool is still a little bit of a question mark. I still don't know who he truly is, especially in that Steelers offense. We've talked about their wide receivers, how there really isn't a true number one. Plus, Juju comes back. So I, I for Chase Claypool, I think he's below the C.D. Lambs and the T. Higgins. Even Van Jefferson, I really do think he's going to have a pretty big role especially now that Matt Stafford is his quarterback this upcoming year. So, yeah, absolutely. His biggest weakness was the wide receiver class, and he really, really addressed it very well. One of the things that stuck out to me about, you know, we talked about the three rookies or that the three that you just mentioned there. T. Higgins was still good even after Joe Burrow got hurt. And to me, that's a sign that he clearly could be something else beyond just being a capable guy that if the quarterback can get him the ball, that he's at least uh, a quality wide receiver. We'll see if he turns into the star quality that he was on the trajectory towards at the end of last uh, season. But I I think the sky's the limit for him going into year two. I know that uh, we talked about him briefly with Ed because Ed's trying to acquire him or Brandon Ayuk. Both of those guys were available in the third round last year. So it's kind of surprising from that uh, wide receiver class that some of these guys slipped a bit down the draft board, especially those that ended up performing well. Chase Claypool, I agree, is kind of an open question mark as far as I'm concerned. And it simply has to do with the Steelers offense. That offense was kind of an enigma at times last year. They couldn't run the football. They had a bad offensive line. They were constantly throwing short. Uh, They were loading up targets on Smith-Schuster and Deontay Johnson, but a lot of them were very short targets. Chase Claypool was explosive, and he was a big target, but they didn't really target him nearly as much as the two other guys in that offense. And yet at times last year, you could have made an argument that all three of them were startable in your lineup especially with a two uh, flex position lineup. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that he's not only a usable starter, but a guy that could be a locked in starter at some point next year. I'm just very curious what the offense for the Steelers is going to look like next year. That's the thing that gives me pause, particularly with how bad Ben looked at the end of the stretch. And I mean, big Ben, not, you know, Ben, our friend here. Just That's making that I clarification. Thought, that I honestly thought you were talking about <laughs> his T Ben, like for a second, our Ben for a second. I was like, oh God, here he goes. <laughs> no, and then CD Lamb, just addressing it quickly. You have to assume that he's going to be very good in a very good Dallas Cowboys offense if Dak gets back to the capability that he had before. Even with Andy Dalton in, like CD Lamb was not completely lost either. So it's another guy that his quarterback went out, and so he probably could have had a better rookie season. But I think to most fantasy analysts, he's the number two wide receiver already on that team and has already surpassed uh, what Michael Gallup could be or was you know, coming into last season. So he's a guy that's in an up-tempo offense that's going to be throwing the ball around the yard a lot because their defense can't stop anybody. You would assume that he's going to be receiving a ton of targets this next year and would be a great fantasy asset potentially. 
because he, he looked explosive at de- decent times last year. So let's start off at the quarterback position. This is one that is controversial going into last season. I know there was a lot of trade talk surrounding it with Ben not very set on having Deshaun Watson being the guy that he thought could carry him to a championship. Deshaun Watson starts to put it together after about the first four or five weeks. I remember somebody on this particular podcast, I can't remember which one of us it was, but seemed to think that Deshaun Watson was not going to be a top five quarterback and and not one of the elite guys. Puts together a great second half, uh, pretty much three quarters of a season, and uh, uh, wows everybody. But now he's broiled in controversy right now uh he's got criminal charges potentially pending or at least an investigation he's got all this civil litigation which again we're gonna try not to go into and a whole bunch of other stuff surrounding him the only other guy that or the only other quarterback that he has on the roster currently is jared goff who is now the detroit lions quarterback so how do you really stack up this quarterback room yeah it's tough a lot of unanswered questions Yes, I was wrong on Deshaun Watson. Um, he really turned the hell, his season around really, really well. But that being said, I don't really know what you can bank on with him, not even his off-the-field stuff. He's come out and said pretty pretty loudly that he's not playing for the Texans anymore. And the Texans have come out and said, well, we're not trading you. You're going to be our quarterback. So push all the other stuff aside, like, that for me is a huge red flag. And then, yeah, you have Jared Goff. That's, I feel like is a ginormous downgrade now heading to Detroit. You, you feel like they're in a rebuild right now. And that's not very promising for a quarterback, especially a quarterback like Jared Goff. So his quarterback room is just questionable. Have the lions ever not been in a rebuild? I mean, I guess so, but you feel like this one is intentional. Basically, there was maybe one year after Calvin Johnson and Matt Stafford were together where you could have thought, okay, maybe this is something going together, or maybe there was a little bit of time during the 90s, but like the Lions have been terrible for most of my life, and particularly since Barry Sanders retired. So it's not like this is great news. It's the Lions. But that being said, I, I really don't think that he's going to be keeping Jared Goff on his keepables roster. My guess is he's going to try and scramble to pick up somebody quarterback wise and uh, see what he can get on the open market or through the draft. He's talked about drafting a rookie quarterback when this is a draft where we're probably going to have five in the top 15 picks. So it, he's going to have his pick of the litter almost at where his pick is going to end up being. I think he finished at number five, so he's going to have the fifth overall pick. I doubt he'll take a quarterback at that spot, but you know he, he'll at least in the second round probably get a, a good opportunity to draft a, a different one. That being said, I agree with you. The Deshaun Watson situation has been extremely complex since the beginning of the offseason. You mentioned that he's sworn off playing for the Texans. But now with all of this other stuff surrounding it, it's not likely he's going to be traded. The other part of it is, and this is part of the conversation on the last collective bargaining, is they made it increasingly difficult for guys to hold out without even more significant fines. And he really can't afford to uh, 
be paying fines right now when he has all this other civil litigation and lawyers and everything else that he's got to pay for. I think he's going to have to bite the bullet. And uh, again, if he's not under suspension by the NFL where he's losing game checks, I would assume that he has to play week one for the Texans and he's going to have to swallow it because of everything else that's going on. He's kind of lost a lot of leverage going into the situation, and it was probably the worst timing in the possible world for him. But it really leaves Ben's ass hanging in the wind. Yeah, not a fun, not a fun situation to have to go through. So let's move over to wide receiver. This is a position of weakness going into last season. We've already talked about the three rookie wide receivers, but also on his roster, Nicole Hardman for the Kansas City Chiefs, DJ Chark. Uh, we also have Robert Woods, the underrated wide receiver who's finished, I think, top 15 at the position all of four or uh, each of the last four years. So add in all of the rookies that he has on this squad. How do you rate his wide receiver room? His wide receiver room is up and coming, I would say. He has a lot of young, young talent that we think is going to be really, really good. Granted, they've only played a year, but they've shown flashes of being very, very good. He also has some pretty good um, top-level talent as well, and I don't mean like elite. I mean, like Robert Woods is very, very reliable. I'd say DJ Chark, when healthy, is pretty reliable. So he's got guys, too, that can anchor if at least you know you have a floor. But I don't think there's too many questions with his wide receivers because like we said the potential is all there and we both think that um cd lamb and t higgins are going to be very very good so you got to like where it is at this point in time you just got to hope for a year two explosion from those two guys if he ends up drafting somebody like uh jamar chase or Devonte smith at number five this wide receiver group, as far as dynasty rankings, will look pretty good. But if you were going into the season and this was your redraft league, you'd say it was adequate. Uh, I don't think there's any top-line talent, but Robert Woods is a very solid, serviceable guy that you can throw in. And DJ Chark is an above-average wide receiver. His problem has always been health and availability. C.D. Lamb and T. Higgins, we look for them as good as they did during their rookie seasons, uh, you look for them to take that next step and really build on that to become in that potentially elite class. But because, you know, this is only their second season, you don't know how that's going to shake out. Was it a one year wonder? Are they going to have a sophomore slump? So those are just some quite open question marks. I agree with you. This is kind of a developing squad, but it's not quite there. So this may look very different by about week six. Um, but going into week one right now, it's just something that we're monitoring and we have some promise, but not quite there. Running back is by far his strongest position on the roster. He currently has Darrell Henderson Jr., Latavius Murray, and then let's get to the big ones. Uh, Mike Davis. Oops, I'm sorry. Now the starter in oh Atlanta. Oh my God. James Conner, Nick Chubb, Alvin Kamara, and Christian McCaffrey. Now, obviously, James Conner had his issues with health all of last season. I think he's a cut candidate for this team. Mike Davis is, I think, the projected starter for Atlanta right now, but uh, my guess is they're probably going to draft somebody, uh, especially with that Arthur Smith uh, offense coming in for next year. He's used to having a Derrick Henry type. It would not shock me to see early in the second round Atlanta go with a running back. 
Darrell Henderson Jr., I think at this point, because Malcolm Brown is gone from uh, the Rams, he is the clear handcuff to Cam Akers, but Cam Akers is looking to be the uh, predominant starter. I know Ben hopes for a little bit different. Latavius Murray is a great handcuff to Elvin Kamara, but Kamara, Nick Chubb, Christian McCaffrey, I don't think there's a better three top running backs on anybody's team. This is by far the deepest running back room in the league, in my opinion. I don't know if by far. I think there's a couple teams that have some pretty good running backs, but I think you can't argue with what Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara bring to the table. That being said, Christian McCaffrey was hurt almost all last year. My issue with him and why I didn't take him when I had two top draft picks that year that he was a rookie is I was worried about the wear and tear that he would inevitably have. Also, I was worried about because when he was drafted, they still had Jonathan or D'Angelo Williams, right? Yeah, they had somebody there, but his Jonathan workload, Stewart. whatever, whichever one it was, it was one of the two. Get out of here. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I was worried about could he take a workload and would he get a full workload? Well, he's getting the full workload. But now the question is, like, can he handle a full workload going forward? How many more years does he have? That would be my only question was Christian McCaffrey. It's kind of the same question that I have with Alvin Kamara as well. But he doesn't really take that many huge hits. His running back room is elite for damn sure. Um, Nick Chubb is somebody that he just keeps chugging away. You know, he's not sometimes he doesn't break off the big 20 yard runs, but he's going to get his six to seven to eight. And over time, when he's wearing down the defense, you know, he'll get a bunch of touchdown opportunities as well. So, yeah, I agree. His running back room is really, really good. But I don't know if it's far and away better than some because there are some pretty good teams that have some pretty good running backs. Not collectively. There are some good individual players, but just from my personal standpoint, Mm -hmm. if we or if you get our newsletter, which I send out. Pretty much with any of the big episodes, I have been sending them out for the State of the League series because we've been putting these out as kind of like a mini episode piece. But as I would put it right now, top five running backs in the league, you're talking about three of the top five being Nick Chubb, Elvin Kamara, and Christian McCaffrey. And I don't think that's like a bold opinion by any stretch. Delvin Cook's in that category. You might put Jonathan Taylor, maybe a Saquon Barkley, but... I don't think there are too many other teams that have three top five running backs. I don't think there are three top 10 running backs on any other one team. And that's why I say like right now, I don't even have Ezekiel Elliott in the top 10. Joe Mixon right now is a complete question mark. Although with his situation, uh, Gio Bernard getting cut in the last couple of weeks, you don't know how he's going to be coming off that injury with the foot and all the other things that went with it, but maybe he can build into that. And Miles Sanders is is maybe a <laughs> Why running back. Why are you listing off all mine? I'm not just talking about Because I think you're the only mine. one that I think could arguably make a case <laughs> for being close on the running back position. I, I mean, you've you've been off the Zeke train for a while now, and I really do think he comes on to a redemption tour this year. But we're not talking about my team, so we'll do that a little bit later. But yeah, I agree. His running back room is really, really damn good. I just think there are some other good teams that have some pretty good running backs in there and like I said the question mark the same question mark that you have for Joe Mixon with injury I think you have to have for the same for Christian McCaffrey now because he missed what 80 percent of the season almost 
Sure. I guess I, I don't think of him or Nick Chubb, who missed, I think, six or seven games last year, as being injury-prone in the same way with Mixon, who I don't think has played a full season yet. I agree, McCaffrey, 100%. McCaffrey's yeah, played full seasons up till that point, and last year was kind of weird injuries. And I know that the Panthers, because they were bad in the second half, like that second injury he had against Kansas City that ended up being the one that ended up sitting him for like the last five weeks or something like that, I don't think had Carolina been in a true playoff push, they would have sat him. He probably could have come back two or three of those weeks and played, but I don't think for the long term Carolina wanted to risk their uh, $20 million running back. And so... I hope you're right because the game of football is much more fun and much better when Christian McCaffrey is healthy and really, really turning it on. To be fair, I think it actually is an upgrade for them to go potentially from Teddy Bridgewater to Sam Darnold uh, when it comes to Christian McCaffrey, because McCaffrey, a lot of his value comes from the amount of targets he gets at the running back position, especially on checkdowns. And, I don't see Teddy Bridgewater checking down nearly as much as I do Sam Darnold, if that makes sense. So I think that that is a little bit aided. It was a trade that happened this last week that we haven't really discussed yet. Nick Chubb, though, started to catch some passes, particularly down the stretch of last season after he came back and during the playoffs. So I kind of am a bit concerned on my own front for Kareem Hunt and how that situation plays itself out. All I'm saying is, I mean, you could make a a value statement on Alvin Kamara as well, depending on who ends up being the quarterback. When Taysom Hill was the quarterback last year, Alvin Kamara was not a running back one. He was barely a running back two, if that. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, absolutely. And they paid Taysom Hill like like he's the starting quarterback. So this is a team that is built to win probably right now. But this is a title contending team like that. That's no question. As far as I'm concerned, he's in that category to go for it right now with these three players and Deshaun Watson and his young rookie wide receivers. And we have to get to the tight end position yet, which I think he's at least above average on has a little bit of depth on as well. So he's got a team that can push for the title. Anyway, let's move to the tight ends. Good point. Uh, His top tight ends, TJ Hawkinson, who at a certain point last year was probably a comfortable top five tight end, as well as Dallas Goddard, who I think I would probably project both of these guys at about somewhere between four and six going into next season's rankings. I I think this is kind of an up and coming uh, tight end room. But what say you? I think it's for sure the better tight end room that we have in our league We know how awful the tight end market truly is. And with Dallas Goddard and your number two, you still got TJ Hawkinson. You know, I I do think that he's in a very good spot with his tight ends. I would put both of these guys comfortably in what I would deem like a tier two. Uh, You have the elite guys, Darren Waller, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle. And then this is kind of that tier two. And I think for the most part, The only other guy I might put in this category is maybe somebody like a Noah Fant, and that's just on talent, not in the uh, total volume level, because Denver is not competent in quarterback right now. I agree with that 100%. Yeah, absolutely. So 
What would you project as his starting 10 right now? Starting 10 right now. Let's I think Deshaun up. Watson's pretty well locked into quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. Deshaun Watson, I think then you got to put in CeeDee Lamb, T. Higgins. Running backs will do Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey. Tight end, TJ Hawkinson is in there. Uh, the flex position, I think you put in Nick Chubb. And then the other flex position, I'd say you could probably throw in Robert Woods. Well, I think Robert Woods would probably even lock in as a starter for me. But, yeah, in some combination of that, I I think that makes the most sense. You're going to start those top three running backs in some form and then, you know, flank it out the rest however you have to. And I think for the most part, Robert Woods, T. Higgins, and C.D. Lamb are pretty well locks on most teams to start, at least going into the year because he really doesn't have any other quarterback options. But it's not like he has a bad one. Uh, in Deshaun Watson, at least from where we left off at the end of last season. That's his locked-in guy. And Hawkinson's probably the better of the two right now, given the situation the Lions are in, that he's going to be the most reliable passing target in that offense and how well he produced down the stretch. I would guess that he's probably starting over Dallas Goddard, but that's a pretty solid team. So I already listed them as a title contender. I'm pretty sure you feel the same way, but Let's just lock this in. This is probably one of the top title contending teams in the league. Yeah, especially with him having a top five draft pick, too. Um, Yeah, look out. We've been worried about his team for a little bit. Maybe this is the year. I'm just glad he didn't win a championship earlier than I did. That's all. I have that that I can hold under over his head for for the rest of time. If you tell me that Deshaun Watson ends up starting 16 games, whether it's for the Texans or anybody else, Uh, I would comfortably say this is probably the team that I think is the deepest and most likely to be the title winner. I think it's a title contender. (laughs) I'm not going to go out on a limb and say it's the greatest team we've seen so far because um, I really do like some other teams. I really like your team as well. Um, But yeah, he's been scary for a while and he's got a real good shot at doing it this year. That's for damn sure. But a lot of it does come down to his quarterback situation and can his what his wide receivers do in year two. Ben, we're wishing you health and innocence this year. Uh, good luck. <laughs> Thank you to all the listeners and Dynasty players out there. We do appreciate you. We will be back again soon to continue our offseason coverage. But until then... Wear a mask, everyone, and we will see you soon. This podcast was mixed, produced, and edited by Thomas Duncan. It is a production of Ronnie Duncan Studios. Our music is thanks to Purple Planet Music. Our technical provider and distributor is Anchor FM.